This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. Today, I want to recognize someone very special to us. I love the accomplishments of our team. I love our team. When I talk about our team, I love the accomplishments of our staff. Do we have an amazing staff? Yeah, we have an amazing staff. This week, we step into what we call uh, a network summit, and there's going to be recognition of people that have labored and given lots of hours in preparation for credentialing, licensing, licensing with the Assemblies of God as well as ordination. And Allie is going to be licensed this week. Come on, Allie, would you come up here? Come on. I, I love to catch her off guard because it's hard to catch her off guard. Allie, I'm proud of you. Thank you. Thank you for all of your hard work. Thank you for your work at Relevant Life Church, but answering the call of God on your life. I know that it's been, you, you, you need to know her story, but I've watched the story in your life. I've watched how you were raised. I've watched how God shaped you. I've watched all of your accomplishments, but I can say to you, probably this is one of the most exciting ones right here because it's responding and answering to the call of God, and we love you. Thank you. Also in the house is one of my favorite people, family. Rob and Malcolm, would you stand to your feet? Come on. Yeah. She is a dear friend of ours. She's a family member of ours. She's Relevant Life Church in her blood, and uh, we love her. She's here to also be recognized. Not, she, she's going to be ordained this, this week on Monday night, and we're excited about that. And... Uh, Ron and I get the privilege of praying with her. We get the privilege of being able to step up there and stand with her and celebrate this moment. I just want to remind you that Connect Groups are up and live at this moment. We need you to participate. We want you to participate. We want you to sign up today and uh, go in and, and do that as well. I checked with Sarah real quickly about what's the, jo- the Jamba Juice uh, card sale. If you have not bought a Jamba Juice card to support our, our, our children, please step in and do so. You don't have to take the card. You can just donate. Uh, again, I want to let you know that all the monies that were raised from this are going to our Vacation Bible School. So it's not just to go, how do we bless our kids inside this room or inside our church? It's how do we reach the kids outside of our church? So we want you to participate and help us with that. How many brought your Bible this morning? Come on, lift it high. I love it. Lift your Bibles. Good deal. I love it. I want to just continue to encourage you to bring your paper, bo- paper books. And uh, Rhonda's got a, one to choke a mule there. I mean, it's, <laughs> she doesn't need to lift weights. She lifts her Bible. That's why she's so buff and muscly. Because she lifts it every single day, right? No. Uh, if you want to turn with me to Gospel of John, John chapter 4, we're going to get there in just a second. Gospel of John, uh, if you turn to the New Testament, after the Old Testament, you're going to go Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to be John chapter 4, and so we will look at that just shortly. We are in the middle of our series, Love Where You Live. Everyone say, Love Where You Live. Love where you live. We're not talking about just this ooey-gooey feeling and emotion. We're talking about a walk that God's calling each of us to, has called us to. We asked this question at the beginning of our series is, what would happen if each of us really began to love where we live? Not love the house that we have, even though that's important. Not love the decor and the color and the furniture that's there. But what if we were to really love the place that we live, if we cared about the people here? And I would add to this, what would happen if we loved our city loved where we lived like Jesus loves where we live. 
Would we, if, what would happen if our hearts were shifted to see things the way he saw things? We've been in this journey in Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says, But you, um, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we're going to be uh, focusing on this verse of Scripture even more intently probably for the next several weeks just because of the outcalling of our lives. It's an internal experience that God wants to bring us to, an internal realization. But He didn't bring us to that internal realization to keep us self-absorbed. He brought us to that internal realization that the Holy Spirit would come upon us and would give us power and would shift our focus to outward, to go to Jerusalem, to to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This concept. And so we've been walking through this transformation process, these four phases. We began with phase number one, a personal transformation, that it has to begin with our experience, that we have to encounter it before we can share it. We have to encounter it before we have to be changed, transformed, before we can actually help others be transformed. Then it goes to our place of our homes, where our homes are transformed. We're not just our lives, but our families' lives, those people that are around us. It impacts our homes. It impacts their their perspectives. And then today, we're stepping into our circle transformation. That those around us, our circles, our friends, those people that we do life with, those people that we work with, that we have a responsibility to them and then eventually to our city. So I ask you this question today as we have changed the beginning question every single phase. What would happen if we loved our circle? What would happen if we really loved the people around us like Jesus loved the people around us? How would that shift our perspective? How would that shift our, 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 our experience with them? How would that shift how we address them and how even we pursue them? Tom Bachman, a couple of weeks ago, began this phase as he talked about love your neighbor as you love yourself. He talked about how loving your neighbor takes time. How many have discovered that loving your neighbor, getting outside of your world, takes some time? He said it takes sacrifice, and it takes an attitude of unselfishness. I think many times when we come to this idea of the circle, we love the idea, let's pray for our circle, but, what if, but we don't always like the idea of doing something about our circle. Why? Because it takes our time. It takes focus. It takes effort. It takes unselfishness. Today, Uh, As we follow up on Easter Sunday last week, we basically, the sermon summed up in two phrases, come and see and go and tell. Come and see and go and tell. Let's say it with me, would you? Come and see and go and tell. When we think about the next two phases of our circle phase and our city transformation phase, it really comes back to those two phrases. Come and see and go and tell. Come and encounter, come and experience the life-giving power of Jesus Christ. Come and experience how he has risen from the dead and how he's changed your life, as well as now we have a responsibility not just to come and see and go, oh, I'm blessed, but to go and tell so others can be blessed, so others can encounter it. Today I've titled my message, On Your Way Through. Everyone, turn to your neighbor and say, On Your Way Through. On Your Way Through. through. I love this because all throughout the Gospels we see Jesus All throughout the New Testament, we see every character in Scripture, and it's as they went, as they were going, as they were obedient to God's direction on their way through life, they impacted people. That's how the gospel got spread. Yes, there was direction. Yes, there was missionary calling on on Paul, but it was on Paul's journey, not just to a destination. It was on his journey through the countries and places that he went that he continued to be who he was. And this concept of on your way through, 
I love this because I believe that it, many of us we're continually on a journey. How many are on a journey? Some of you may be beginning a brand new journey, but yet you're in the middle of your journey. You may be at the end of your journey, but you're, now in the, but you're also in the middle of your journey. There's this process that God says that on your way through. And so what I want to challenge you this morning is with this concept is that we're all on our way through. God's taking us someplace. And God has us, wants us, desires for us to be on mission on our way through. This concept of circle, a group of persons sharing a common interest or revolving around a common center. A group of persons that have a common interest that center or revolve around this common center. Today when we come here, we look at culture and how many can see the diversity of culture, the differences of culture, to go, we're not the same, our belief systems are not the same. What I want you to grasp here is not the first part of this, not the first part of this of a common interest, but a revolving common center. Today, as humans, we have a revolving common center, that you are a person that breathes and is alive and is human. Even though some of us may act inhumane, some of us may not act like humans. We look at our culture and we can step back. But I want you to realize this concept is that there is a commonality between all of us. Whether you are a believer in Christ or you are not. Whether you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ or you do not. Whether you believe like I believe or you believe like you believe. Can I tell you that there is a commonness about us that we are all in need of a Savior. That's the commonality. So when we talk about this circle... Yes, it's people that uh, we may walk in life and they may have the same belief systems that we do. But I'll tell you this, there's probably a lot of, a lot of diversity in your life. And I want to tell you, you need to be all right with the diversity in your life. You need to be all right with the diversity in life. Because if you're not all right with the diversity in your life, if you're not rubbing shoulders with people that are not like you, you will never win this world. If you're not rubbing shoulders with people that don't believe like you and talk like you, that carry your Bible like you do, can I tell you, on your way through, God is calling us to shine light. What do these all have in common? Dad, dad, dad. The phone ringing, the need of a family member or a friend, a disturbing text, the ding of another, another uh, email, the traffic jam, the unexpected visitor, the unwanted diagnosis, the lack of internet connection at the office, the pandemic. The loss of a job. What do these all have in common? I would say, sum it all up, that they are interruptions in life. If you're a parent, you've been interrupted by a child. If you are uh, someone working from home, you've been interrupted by the cares of home. If you're just human, you've had interruptions. How many like interruptions? How many thrive on interruptions? This word interrupt here is to stop or to hinder or to intrude. To stop, to hinder, or to intrude. In our high productivity culture, we hate interruptions. We, want to, we can wear it as a badge of valiancy and honor to go, no, I want to give God, I want to represent God the very best, so therefore I've got to do the best of my job. But in reality, I think underlying all that is we just don't like to be interrupted. We don't like our lives to be stopped. We don't like intrusions. We don't like hindrances. 
To me, interruptions, my old me and part of my new me, is they're a pain and they're frustrating. They're inconvenient. How many realize that interruptions come at the most inconvenient opportunities? When I was younger, I actually resented them. And in the middle of an interruption, I know that the underlying persona came across that I resented that interruption. That interruption oftentimes was labeled as a person someplace. But I want us, rather than to think of the negative on interrupt, I want us to possibly reframe interruptions. I want us to reframe interruptions not just as a hindrance, but what if they were truly an opportunity? I gave you one part of that definition of interrupt to break, uh, to stop or to hinder, but another part of that is to break up the sameness. How many of us get in life and we're in the middle of our rut? Don't change my sameness. Don't interrupt my life. Don't, don't hinder me in what I'm about to do because what I'm doing is very important. What I'm doing is more important than your interruption. What I'm doing in my sameness and in my rut is more important than you as a person. Now, we may not say that, but can I tell you that oftentimes our actions portray that? We may not say it with our words, but our demeanor and our response of inconvenience to others can say that. Now, I'm not saying that all interruptions are good. Obviously, you have to move on with life and you have to do things in a structured way. But this concept, I think about this and I think about the story that I'm going to get to in John chapter 4. What if the purpose of your life was all about the people you encountered rather than the task you were trying to accomplish? What if? What if we truly stepped in and loved our circle the way that God loved our circle, that every person's important, every person's valuable, and that that encounter with that person is not an interruption to your life, but is an opportunity in their life, and even an opportunity in your life? Can I tell you today that many times in my frustration with interruptions, I'm missing out on a blessing because I'm like going, okay, I'm just going to meet the need, and I don't even have an opportunity to receive what they want to bring to me. This idea of interruptions. What if we did truly view people, encounters, as what I'm going to call divine appointments from God? What if our everyday life, if we truly believe what Psalm says, that our steps are ordered by the Lord? How many believe that today? That your steps are ordered by the Lord? How many believe that in your stepping every single day, however many steps those are, if you track them, you know, I, I, I relish in the fact that I'm taking steps because it's supposed, supposedly supposed to help me lose weight. But how many were to think, I'm not, if you didn't focus on them going, wow, I took that many steps and I burned that many calories, what about that you took that many steps and you encountered that many people? What if you took those steps with intentionality to go, no, as I go, and people interrupt, it's the people that I encounter, not the task that I'm accomplishing. Divine appointments. I don't know who said it, I couldn't find to give credit to, so, but everyone comes into your life for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. 
I want you to not just to go, okay, these people that are important to me, well, there's a reason and there's a season and there's a lifetime. Are those people that left you behind? Well, there was a season and, well, okay, I'll just get over my own feelings. No, can I tell you that every person, if we believe Psalms that God says, your steps are ordered by the Lord, do you not believe that he puts people in your path on purpose? As I was preparing this this week, there's a place that I can go back to self-condemnation to go, how many opportunities have I missed? I want you to think about your life. How many opportunities have you missed because you don't want to be interrupted? How many opportunities have you overlooked a conversation and a person because you don't want to be interrupted? What I love about this is that Jesus is never interrupted with me. Can I tell you, Jesus is never interrupted with you. Jesus is in your life for a reason and for a season and for a lifetime. And can I tell you that you're a carrier of that message. You're a carrier of that in your life. Today, as we step into John chapter 4, if you want to turn there, would you go to the next picture here? I want to show the map. I want you to understand as we're talking about this story, Jesus on his way to Galilee leaving Jerusalem, going to Galilee, and he has an opportunity to go all the way around or to go through. And Jesus decides to what? Go through Samaria. Jesus decides to go through. And I want to ask you today, what are you determining that you are going to go through? Rather than avoiding, rather than trying to step out of the interruptions of life, where are you going to say, God, I want to go through? John chapter 4. And uh, because I'm trying to practice what my son preached about the Bible, I'm bringing my Bible up here, and so you have to bear with me, because i got to put on these things to read this small letter, even though it's a large letter. <laughs> They're still small to me. You could probably read it from back there. <laughs> Starting with verse 4, it's now, it says, now he had to go through, everyone say go through. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sakar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was, was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey. Can I tell you, there are so many nuggets of truth in here that I could preach for three hours just trying to cover all this, but I want you to realize this, that many times we sterilize the gospel because we remove the fact that, God was, that Jesus was not just human and God, he was both. Here's an evidence right here that says that he, Jesus was tired from the journey. If he was God, he wouldn't be tired. As a human, he was tired. He sat down by the well, and it was about noon when, Samar when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food, and the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God who, uh, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him uh, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have, uh, you have nothing to draw with and the well, well is deep. Where can you get this living water? And there's importance to that statement right there. We're not going to take time to unpack it completely. But when we talk about living water, they're not talking. She's, he's talking one thing and she's talking another thing. Living water to her was flowing water. Living water to her was running water. Living water to Jesus was the ultimate water. And that's why she comes back and says, it's, it's too deep. You can't reach living water. You can't reach the running water below. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his, also his sons and his livestock? 
Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks this water I will give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become to them a spring of living water uh, uh, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you are now with is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation comes from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one whom you are speaking to, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one, no one asked, Who do you, uh, what, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Verse tw- uh, 28, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way towards him. Skipping down to verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Heavenly Father, today I thank you for the gospel truth. I thank you for this word that is here. God, I thank you that through the inspiration of your Holy Spirit and the storytelling part of John that he's able to transpire the story to us. God, there are so many truths that stand out. God, I pray that you'd help us to to focus in on just four of those today. God, would you give us your grace and your mercy in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. amen. Willingness to be interrupted on your way through. Today in this passage of Scripture, today in this story, not a parable, not a, not a makeup story, but a real-life story with real-life characters, with real-life people, people that are human just like you or just like me, and this story is so powerful, so important. And from this story, I want to give you four points today. When pointing your circle to Jesus, remember four things. Number one, I want you to remember that this is not a suggestion. When we talk about pointing people to Jesus, it's not just an idea. It's not just a suggestion for our lives. It's not just something that go, well, someone else will do it. That's not my skill set. No, as believers, followers of Christ, people that love Jesus Christ, give your life to him, we realize that this is not a suggestion. This is a mandate to us. It's a commission to us. And we can see this in Matthew chapter 28 before Jesus uh, uh, ascended into heaven. He says, Jesus came to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples. Everyone say go. We are mandated to go. It's not a suggestion. It's not a choice. It's a mandate. It's a commission. It's a calling on our lives. We are carriers of the gospel message. We are carriers of the gospel message. Do people see the effects of the gospel on your life? 
When people come in contact with you, people you encounter, do they see the effects of the gospel on your life? This is not for you to step back and look at someone else's life and go, hmm, let me speculate about your fruit and let me see if I can see the gospel in your life. No, you're going, looking in the mirror going, is the gospel evident in my life? Is the grace of Jesus Christ evident in my life? Is the mercy of God evident in my life? Am I being changed and transformed? And if so, you're a carrier of the gospel. You should be a carrier of the gospel. Our number one responsibility as Christ followers to our world is to represent and to present Jesus Christ. It's not to go and represent your company. It's not to go and represent Relevant Life Church. It's not to go and represent your last name. Although all of those things play into in your character, your calling, your number one job is to represent Jesus Christ and to present Jesus Christ. We oftentimes in our culture, we have softened this to come back and go, no, I am an accountant or I am a pastor or I am whatever it is, rather than going, no, I am a believer. I am a representative of Christ Jesus. I'm a representative. What we have to realize is this, and I, we, can, we can tout it, we can, we can speak it, but the power of Jesus is still what transforms hearts. The power of Jesus is what transforms lives. It is His power of hope, His power of forgiveness, His power of grace, His power of healing, His power of freedom from addiction that even gives positivity to our world. We're not there to represent us and our last name. We're there to represent Jesus and what He gives. And what we have to understand is that Jesus came to this earth on a mission. Not only did He come on a mission, was He sent on a mission, Jesus lived in His mission. It was His identity. It was His calling And you go, well, he was the son of God. He's the one that died. Can I tell you, you are a child of God, and he called you. He said, go. We're to represent. Not only is it his calling, it's our calling. Not only is it his mission, but it's our mission. This idea of living on mission is a term called missional or missional living. It's a term that in its essence describes a missionary lifestyle. Being missional includes embracing the posture, the thinking, the behaviors, and the practices of a missionary. I really shouldn't be preaching this today. Who would be better off preaching it would be Robin because she is a missionary. She understands what it is to posture yourself in a different posturing. She understands what it is to step into a different thought process when you, inv- when you interact into the world. She understands that my behaviors and their behaviors don't have to coincide, but I de- do need to behave differently. She does understand that the practices of this missionary part is is done in order to reach others with the message of the gospel. Today, have we stepped out and sterilized our lives to go, no, it's great, I I, I love church, and I love missions because we give to missions, and we support missionaries, and we get to send people across the seas rather than seeing yourself as a missionary. We are called to live missional living. We're not, missions is not just a program of the church. It is the church. It's not what we just do to send someone to another country. It's who we are to live every single day of our lives. It's a callback to this reality. Chris Wright says this, Many times we wrongly assume that the primary activity of God is in the church. 
rather than recognizing that God's primary activity is in the world. And the church is God's instrument sent into the world to participate in His redemptive mission. Can I tell you what's happened? We've skewed this. They come and go, God's working in our church. Rather, God's working outside of our church, and He's called us to go into the world and to work alongside Him. Number two, not only is it not a suggestion, number two, for us to reach our circle, we have to realize that differences should not stop us. Differences should not stop us. How many know that everyone's different? Everyone's diverse. Everyone has a different thought pattern, especially in our culture today where there is different nationalities and different belief systems and different, different platforms that we're going to stand on and we're going to debate over and we're going to fight over and we're going to get division over. And I want to tell you today that Jesus never came to bring division. Jesus came to reveal. Differences should not stop us. Differences did not stop Jesus. We can look at this passage, this story in John chapter 3. Now, Jesus left for Judea and went back uh, once, once more to Galilee. Uh, now he had to go th- and now he had to go through Samaria. He came to this town in Samaria, and we, he uh, encounters this woman. In verse 9, it says, The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan. How many, often, how many of us oftentimes may not verbally say it, but we have a mindset that says, You are a, and I am a. You are a Republican, and I'm a Democrat. You are a, 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 a sinner, and I'm a Christ follower. You are gay, and I am straight. You are a Catholic, and I am Pentecostal. You are a woman, and I am a man. You are short, and I am tall. You are fit, and I am fat. You are, and I am. We define, we label, we put this idea that's out there, and I want you to realize today that in spite of her labeling herself, Jesus did not step into the labeling. Jesus does not label. Jesus does not quantify. Jesus comes and says, you're all human. Can I tell you this idea that in our culture today, uh, Jesus, we even see in the gospel, I can't remember which one it was, but Jesus did not come for the healthy. He came for the... Can I tell you, he came for you. Why? Because you are... He's coming for the people out there. Why? Because they are... We're all sick. The commonality that we have in our life, the thing that unifies us is that we are all sick. We are all sick. We may be different, but there is something that brings us together. There is a sameness, a commonness. For us to understand this, we must understand the story. We must understand the background between a Samaritan and a Jew. Back in the Old Testament in 1 Kings, we see where the tribes were separated. There were ten tribes that went one way and two tribes that went the other way. Ten tribes that became Israel and two tribes that became Judah or Judea. Ten tribes that based their practices off of two, two Old Testament teachings, Genesis and Deuteronomy, and or, I mean, sorry, yeah, ten that did on two and two that did the rest of the Old Testament. They came back and said, no, we found all of this. The ten were abducted by the Assyrians, overtaken by the Assyrians when there was this big invasion. 
and they became interbred and became known as the Samaritans. Two were abducted and taken over by Babylon, taken into captivity into Babylonia, finally released, and they came back to Jerusalem and continued on in their belief system. So we talk about the Jews, the two, and the Samaritans, the ten. A division in the tribe, a division in, no, we were all one people. We all had commonality. We all had like belief systems. And in the middle of all this upheaval in 1 Kings, the country divided. And from that point on was divided. I don't want to go into all the parallels, but I want you to understand that. So when we come into this concept of the Jews versus the Samaritans, when we see the concept of Jesus interacting with Samaritans, he's going against, Jews are going, no, you're half-breeds. No, you are dogs in the corner. You have no value. And the Samaritans are going, no, we're right and you're wrong. Differences. Have you ever had a conversation at work that there's been such stark differences that you end up going to places of debate and arguing and dissension, even getting your feelings hurt, creating thought processes and ideas and assumptions about them and them about you. It's probably humanity. It's probably who we are in the fiber of our lives. But can I tell you that somewhere Jesus didn't go making assumptions. He says the differences aren't going I'm, I'm not going to let, I'm not going to major on these differences. For us to understand this, the cultural strikes against this woman at the well. Number one, she was a Samaritan. Jesus, Jews don't talk to Samaritans as we talked about. Number two, she was a woman. And Jesus being a rabbi, rabbis did not talk to women in public. If they were married, they would talk to their spouse in a private room. They would not talk to them in public. Many rabbis' practices, as they were walking down the streets in Jerusalem, that if a woman were coming, they would actually close their eyes and risk walking into a wall rather than looking at a woman. Not only was she a Samaritan or a woman, she was an adulterous woman. She was a woman that had not just five husbands, but many lovers. She was known in the city. That's why she was coming to the well at noon rather than in the morning. They actually say that there was another well inside the city of Sakaar, and she was forced outside of the city to go to a well at a distance. Why? Because she was an adulterous woman. There has been prejudice since the beginning. People misunderstand one another. People are fearful of others' differences. And rather than labeling ourselves as prejudiced, we would rather be labeled as judgmental. And I believe that today in this room, Kevin included, I don't want to be a prejudiced individual, but I can be a judgmental individual. Anybody guilty of judgment? And today I want to call us back to the place of going, we're not here to judge. We're not here to cast a stone. We're not here to declare I'm right and you're wrong or they're wrong and I, whatever, however you want to say it. The reality is this, is that in our cultural, uh, in our social cultural circumstance, our, our current era, I can't even talk right now, our, our current, current place where we're at, there are barriers. 
Whether we look down on a disability, whether we look down on where you live, whether we look down on an age group, whether we look down on a race or a language or a belief system or a value system or a background or a work ethic, we may not come and go, I'm prejudiced, but we come and go, I'm judgmental. And whether we even want to not be labeled judgmental, we make judgments. And what I love about this, this is the key to the story. She comes and goes, I am a Samaritan and you are a Jew and we don't interact. And Jesus does not even acknowledge it. He doesn't even question it. What does he do? He diverts it to the truth. He doesn't go, well, yeah, let's debate over this. I'm right and you're wrong. Well, it's not what we do. Let's engage in debate. Let me, let me stand up for what I believe. No, Jesus diverts from their differences to the gift of God. He talks about this living water. Jesus kept the main thing the main thing. And church... If we want to win our circle, we've got to keep the main thing the main thing. We've got to quit diverting from the differences. We've got to keep diverting from what's, what makes you you and them them, what we think does. And go back to, oh, we all need Jesus. We all need Jesus. We get frustrated with people's differences, but can I tell you, when we're frustrated with people's differences... Our frustration is not, different, is not fr- directed towards them. Your frustration is directed towards him. Why? Because God uniquely created every single person on this planet. God ra- put them in the culture that they were to be in. God put them in the ethnicity that they were to be in. God, put, God did all of those things. And when we come back and go, I'm different then, yeah, we are, but we need to value the difference. Number three. We are responsible to take the first step. We're responsible to seek to understand. We're not responsible to stand and to get on our soapbox and to tout what our belief system is. Well, let me pull out the Bible and let me tell you what the gospel says. Can I tell you, if you don't seek to understand, you're never going to have an avenue to that. If you block it before you get to that, if you don't understand them and you don't understand their di- the diversity and their background, if you just try to shove the gospel down their throat or to go, I am, but I'm a Jew and you're a Samaritan, but I'm a Republican and you're a Democrat, but I'm tall and you're short. If we don't seek to understand them, we see in John chapter 4, verse 15, Jesus and the women are having this conversation and uh, she's saying, well, I wish you would just, I, I want this living water. I don't want to have to come back here and draw this. And Jesus, again, doesn't focus on the living water. Jesus steps into her world. Jesus steps into her life, and he says, he told her, go call your husband and come back. And she says, I don't have a husband. And he goes, you're right when you say you don't have a husband. You've had five, and the man you're now with is not your husband. Jesus does not go to the head knowledge Jesus does not engage the logic. Jesus engages the heart. And can I tell you today that many times we come, well, let's engage the the logic. Let me reason with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me reason with them this truth that I've encountered rather than going, how do I engage their heart? Why? Because can I tell you this? You did not encounter Jesus by logic. You encountered Jesus by your heart. You did not encounter Jesus by Jesus' rules. You encountered Jesus by the grace of God, an emotion and a feeling that was attached to that. When we talk about the experiences that we've had with God, we don't come back and go, well, I, I mean, we do, but we don't come back and go, well, the Word of God says, 
the Word of God said something to you and it produced something in your life that made you feel something. Am I correct? It wasn't just the words. It was the emotion, the power of the Holy Spirit that ignited that word in your life and brought transformation to you. Jesus, he doesn't come to reason with the head. He comes to touch the heart because if he touches the heart, he will change the reasoning. It's why you and I are still in a process. Is all of your reasoning in your head right according to God's word? No, we're still in a process. Why? Because we're continually encountering God. He's continuing to touch our heart, continuing to change us. And as our heart is changed, our thoughts are changed. Jesus, this master of all stories. Jesus is master of transitions. Jesus is master of questions and discovery. Jesus is the one who had all wisdom and discernment, yet he was the son of God. Can I tell you that many times, as I said earlier, we sterilize the gospel when we go, well, Jesus was just God, or Jesus was just man. No, Jesus was fully God and fully man. Fully man in that he had every temptation and every encounter and every emotion that you and I face on this planet. He just did not entertain them. But he was fully God because he stayed on mission. John chapter 1 says this, in the beginning was the Word, meaning Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, though uh, through Him, excuse me, through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that, was, that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 14, and the Word, Jesus, became flesh and, his, and made His dwelling among us. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and the only son who came from the father full of grace and full of truth. He made himself like us. He came into our, under, our, into our story. He came to understand us. It wasn't just the Old Testament God coming going, no, I am the judge and I am right. Let me give you rules. Jesus didn't come and do away with the rules, but Jesus came down and said, how do I explain the rules to you? How do I make those rules come alive to you? I was reading this week. As Jesus connects to our hearts, he connects to our stories. Human beings are story-shaped creatures. We are born into stories. We're raised in stories. We live and we die in stories. Wherever we are, we have a, uh, we have an, uh, wherever we have to answer a big question, who am I, why am I here, what should I do, what happens to me when I die, we tell a story. Stories are God's idea. God is the one who created the story. The Bible does not simply contain stories. It reflects God's choice of the form of story um, as the primary means by which he tells us about himself. It's how we see his resurrection. It's how we see his interaction with mankind. It's how we see his right relationship with us. The essence of stories is characters making choices, especially characters making difficult choices. What is it that connects with you about the Word of God? It's seeing characters, their story that connects with your life. Seeing God's interaction with their story. And you go, no, he interacts with my life. There's a story. Brian Eno, our past DYD, said, people matter to God. I love this statement. Every number has a name, every name has a story, and every story matters to God. Our responsibility 
is to bridge the gap. Our responsibility is to seek to understand. Our responsibility is to step into their story, not to tell our story. I guarantee you'll have a moment to tell your story. But oftentimes we miss, we miss this opportunity to share our story because we want to tell them our agenda. We miss the opportunity to tell our story because we want to give them the solution of our judgment of any person that could have came and judged. It would have been Jesus. Of any person that could have jumped right into the middle of this story and obliterated this woman that almost came across caustic as you read the story. Jesus won her over by seeking to understand. Jesus won her over by engaging in her life. Lastly, for us to reach our circle, it doesn't require a qualification, but it does require transformation. In chapter 4, as the woman went back to Sakar, she says, Come and see a man who told me everything that I did. After Jesus had engaged in her life, after Jesus had understood her and dialogued with her, she had now had an encounter with him. And not only is she going back to, back to Sakar and she's going, Come and see this man who told me everything about my life. She didn't come and say, Come and see this man who judged me. Come and see this man who pointed out all my differences. Come and see a man who pointed out my sin. Come and see a man who pointed out that I'm a Samaritan and he's a Jew and that blah, 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 blah. No, she says, come and see a man who told me everything about my life. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out out of the town and made their way towards him. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. The woman went back back and told her story. He knew everything about me. Come and see. And she was going and telling. I encountered something. I want you to encounter it. This was important. My story. Every number has a name and every name has a story and every story matters to God. Can I tell you today that your story matters to God? Your story of your encounter matters to people. I think many times where we miss this is that in this story, we don't realize that we're just a sub-character in the story. Sometimes in the story, while we're trying to tell our testimony, we want people to see us. We want people to see where we came from. We want people to see our success and our victory and our testimony and look at that person. Many times we come back and in this story, rather than being the sub-character, we want to be the plot maker. And the reality is, is this. Your qualification is that you've been transformed and touched by Jesus Christ. Your testimony is that Jesus is the Savior of the world. That Jesus saved me. That Jesus delivered me. That Jesus touched me. Don't try to be the main character. Can I tell you, I stand here in humility. How many times have I tried to be the main character? 
that I have to say the right words. I have to have the right scripture memorized. I've got to pray the right prayer. I've got to use the right opportunity. And what have I done? I've made the story about Kevin and Kevin's ability rather than going, all my job, all my responsibility is is to come and share a testimony. It's Jesus. Holy Spirit, it's your job. I don't have the power to convict. I don't have the power to change. I don't have the power to transform. I can't make you a Jew if I'm a Samaritan. I can't, I don't have the power. That's why we've got to come to this place of realizing. All throughout history, we see this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. For one one says, I'm, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Paulus. And yet we're just mere human beings. What after all is Apollos and who and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. Verse 6, it says, I, Paul, I planted the seed and Apollos watered the seed, but God is the one who makes it grow. When we make ourselves the main character, we're going, I'm responsible to plant the seed, I'm responsible to water, I'm responsible to do it all. Man, if I don't, if I don't, if I don't do my part, then I'm failing. Now you need to do your part. But can I tell you, you're not the main character. You may be a Paul that waters the seed or plants the seed. You may be a Paulus that waters a seed. And you may not be the one that gets to be there to reap the harvest, but Jesus reaps the harvest. Why? Because he's the main character. It's about him. Our job is to get them to Jesus. Do you feel responsible to share the right thing? Do you feel responsible to say the right thing? Do you feel responsible to pray the right thing? Now, I'm not saying just go be an idiot out there. But can I tell you, you're not the hero of the story. You're not the one that saves them. Jesus is the saver. You're a representative of being saved. You are broken just like they are broken. Be the vessel. This idea of qualifications, a quality or accomplishment that makes a person suitable. Can I tell you today that you're never going to be suitable with however many scriptures you have memorized? However trained you are, you're never going to be suitable. It's your testimony that makes you suitable. It's your encounter with Jesus that makes you suitable. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him. Why? Because of the woman's testimony. Why? Because of the woman's testimony. She had just had an encounter with Jesus. There hadn't been enough time for her life to be transformed, the renewing of her mind. There hadn't been enough time for her to go back and memorize scripture. There hadn't been enough time to go, how do I pray? She just went back and said, I want you to come and see the man who did this in my life. A testimony. Reveal them to Jesus. As I close, your circle, your circle is your realm of influence. Your circle is who you come in contact with. Your circle is your interruptions that can either be an interruption and a disturbance or an opportunity. I think of the song that many of us have heard as a child saying as a child, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. 
We think of the verses and it goes, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine all around the neighborhood. Talk about a missional song. Talk about a song that was on mission that understood the call of God on our lives. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine all around my neighborhood, I'm gonna let it shine. I'm not gonna hide it under a bushel. I'm not gonna hide it from the people. I'm gonna let it shine. I'm, don't let Satan blow it out. I'm gonna let it shine. Can I tell you what's happened today in our culture? is in our practice, in our learning, in our reasoning, we put our thought above our hearts. We put our reasoning above the heart impact of God and we come back and go, no, we need to come back to the basics of the song and go, I'm gonna let my light shine. As I go, I'm gonna let it shine. Around my neighborhood, I'm gonna let it shine. And I can tell you this, in our culture today in 2023, Satan wants to blow your candle out. He's trying to diminish the light of the church. And of all generations, let me tell you this, stand up, rise up, church. Jesus said, you, you are the light of the world. A town that is built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand that it would give light to everyone. In the same way, let your light shine. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Your shining is not to be the character of the story. Your shining is to reflect Him. Your shining illuminates. Your shining reflects who He is and what He's done. Today, God, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that I've seen the light that I've encountered the light. Would you just thank him today in your own life? God, across this room, we thank you that we've encountered the light. God, I thank you that you lived on mission. Help us to live on mission. God, I thank you today that you did not see our differences and separate from us. You saw our differences and you engaged with us. God, I thank you today that you are the instigator, that you sent your son to dwell on this planet that we might encounter you. If you're here today and you feel like your light has been diminished, that you've diminished your light, If you feel like today you've been seeking to change somebody rather than seeking to understand. If you're here today and you're going, no, I feel challenged that I've got to get back on mission. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Would you stand to your feet this morning? Any of those qualify you? Any of those qualify you? Thank you. Everyone else is a-okay with soul winning this morning. Maybe I didn't explain it completely. You're here today and you want to reach people for Jesus. You want your light to shine. You've allowed your differences to hinder your effectiveness. Our first response is humility. Would you just lift your hands and you ask God to forgive you today? Where is it that you've made it an obstacle. God, today we come. God, forgive us 
Forgive me for making the story about me. Jesus, you are the main character. Jesus, you are the one that saves. You are the one that died. You are the one that rose again. You are the one that has the power to transform. God, today I pray, God, forgive us in this room. Forgive us for whatever barrier we've placed. Forgive us for whatever it is that we've made as an obstacle. God, today now across this room as we are standing in in recognition, God, I pray that you would, God, as we encounter you, God, would you bring in a boldness? God, would you bring an intentionality in how we live? God, would you help us to see that interruptions are opportunities? God, would you help us to see that as we go, the people we encounter are the main objective, not a secondary objective. God, would you help us to realize who we are and what you have called us to? God, help us to be confident in our testimony. God, would you help us to reminisce of what you've done in our lives? And God, today people may be standing here going, I'm not really sure. God, would you show them what you've done? God, help them to encounter and experience their testimony, their life-changing moment, what you did in their life. God, knock off of us religion and tradition. God, help us to get back to the very foundation of relationship. God, today we pray for our city. We pray for our circles. We pray for those lives that we come in contact with. God, we know that it's not our job to change them. It's your job. So God, we want to engage them. So God, we pray, give us divine opportunities to engage with people. And God, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Our prayer team's coming around the front. Sorry, I went a little bit long this morning. Our prayer team's coming around the front. If you need prayer, would you let them pray with you? God bless you. Have an amazing week. See you next week. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.